remain standing as your custom as I read the, today's text from Jeremiah chapter 45. It's from the English Standard Version. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch the son of Neriah when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah king of Judah. Thus says the Lord the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, Woe is me, for the Lord has added, to my, added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. Thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I am breaking down, and what I have planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you may go. You may be seated. Pray with me for a short prayer of illumination. Our Father and our God, what we know not teach us, what we are not make us, what we have not grant us. In your name, amen. Um, I'm sure you might wonder how preachers or speakers get their ideas for sermons, and this one I kind of didn't plagiarize, but I go to Exeter Press and Exeter, and Steve McGee, a couple of years ago at the end of a sermon, I don't even know what the sermon was about, I can't remember, he mentioned this character Baruch, and he only spoke like a minute or two on Baruch, but it really piqued my interest and just got to thinking, this is really fascinating, and he just, he started to open the kernel of truth there. And uh, I hope through this sermon you'll be blessed by this as, as I was in preparing this for you. Um, preachers often say they're preaching to themselves, and that's really true here. Um, also, I'd like to say in opening that this is not a commentary on current events as far as what's happening in the world, as far as health concerns or political concerns or economic concerns. This was not crafted with that in mind at all. I really try not to preach current events. I think that we've had problems generation to generation has had their own problems. Just looking back casually, 10, 15 years ago, what were we talking about? ISIS and terrorism. Before that, we're looking at technology, the technology bubble, the, the way the market boomed, or boomed and then broke in the mid-90s, in the, the 70s, Watergate, runaway inflation. In the 60s, the 60s you just kind of want to forget, it's kind of like 2020. You just want to write that decade off. You had assassinations of JFK and MLK and RFK. You had um, Vietnam, Kent State. You had the rampant drug culture. The 50s you had stop, drop, and roll. If you were in school at the time, you learned to fear nuclear war above all things. And on and on, World War II, the Depression, World War I, um, industrialization, people leaving the farms, slavery, 
the revolution, plagues, war, statism, communism, um, disease, it's, just, it's never ending. But we don't preach current events. We preach the word of God, and we preach expositorily. And that's what I wanted to share, something from the book of Jeremiah and the story of Baruch and how it can help us in our daily lives. But before I open up Baruch, I'd like to just give you a little bit of background about Baruch himself and about the book of Jeremiah, if you're not too familiar. Jeremiah is known as one of the major prophets, and it's not because he's like more important than the so-called minor prophets. It's just the major prophets, their books were either very large, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, or their books were very major in their scope. They had lots of things they talked about. Um, like Daniel, even though it's a small book, talks about how do you live like a pilgrim in this world? How is the leader supposed to treat his people? And then he talks a lot about eschatology, which, of course, we won't get into. The book gains its title from the beginning words, the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah recounts more of his life than any other prophet. He's very open-hearted in his writing. A lot of writers, they're very cagey about what they're themselves. You don't really know a lot about them. Jeremiah wears his heart on his sleeve, talks about his... Um, audience, the testings he's going through, his personal feelings. He served as both a priest and a prophet. He was the son of a priest, and he grew up in just a small village about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's still there. It was called Anatoth at the time. It's now called Anata. He remained unmarried in his life. It's probably done as an object lesson, similar to Hosea. Um, they, their lives and their wives and their marriages were done to teach the nation of Israel an object lesson. As I said, his life was filled with much hardship. Partly that's because of the predictions of judgment by the invading Babylonians and because the leaders he spoke to were so antagonistic and unwilling to listen to the message from the Lord. He was threatened. He was tried for his life. He was put in the stocks. He was forced to flee. He was put into a pit, publicly humiliated as a false prophet by another false prophet and then later sent into exile and possibly died there, although some people think he may have returned at the end of the exile, but by then he'd have been late early 80s, early 90s. Jeremiah carried out a ministry directed mostly to his own people in Judah, but it expanded to other nations at the time. So he appealed to his countrymen to repent and avoid God's judgment from an intruder, an invader. But once the invasion was certain, after Judah refused to repent, he pled with them not to resist the Babylonian conqueror in order to prevent total destruction of the land. He also called on the delegates of other nations to heed his counsel and submit to Babylon and predicted judgments from God on other nations. If you want to learn more about Jeremiah, you can look at 2 Kings 22-25 to and 2 Chronicles 34-36. to His messages paint pictures of his people's sin, the invader God would send, the rigors and hardships of a siege, calamities of destruction. Jeremiah's message of impending judgment for idolatry and other sins was preached over a period of about 40 years, and it took place through the reign of five kings. Josiah, who was actually a, a king that reform, tried to reform, Jehoiahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and the last king, Zedekiah. The spiritual condition of Judah was one of flagrant idol worship. 
King Ahaz, who had preceded Hezekiah long before Jeremiah, had set up a system of sacrificing children in the valley of Hinnon to the god Molech just outside of Jerusalem. His son Hezekiah led reforms and a cleanup, but his son Manasseh, through a 52-year reign, brought back that evil practice. His son Josiah tried again to reform, but that sin was just so deeply entrenched that when he died, it came back. Religious insecurity, dishonesty, adultery, injustice, tyranny against the helpless, slander. These were the norm, not the exception. It sounds kind of like 2021. Politically momentous events occurred in Jeremiah's day. Assyria had been the dominant world power. Prior to that, they had invaded Israel a few decades before and overthrew it, but their power gradually grew weaker and weaker until they were overthrown by the Babylonians and under Nebuchadnezzar, and they became the dominant player. Jeremiah talks about the future restoration of the Messianic kingdom. Whereas Isaiah devoted a lot of time to the future glory of Israel, Jeremiah gave far less space to that because God's judgment was already pretty much a sure thing. But he did concentrate on current problems as he sought to turn the nation back from the point of no return. A secondary theme in his book is God's willingness to spare and bless the nation if the people did repent. A further focus is God's plan for his, Jeremiah's life, both in his proclamation of God's message and his commitment to fulfill all of God's will. Other themes include God's longing to be intimate with Israel again, as the first love that they had years ago. Other themes were suffering, the vital role that God's word can play in your life, the place of faith and expecting restoration from the God from whom nothing is too difficult, and prayer in your life. There are some interpretive difficulties in Jeremiah. Most are minor. One does jump out. It's a challenging book in that it jumps around time-wise. So you'll be reading a chapter, then it goes back in time in the next chapter, then forward, back and forth. This is a little hard to understand. It's not it's chronologically arranged to say Ezekiel or Daniel. Baruch, who's the main focus of the, the message today, was according to the Jewish historian Josephus, a Jewish aristocrat. He was the son of a man named Neriah, and his, he had a brother named Sariah ben Neriah, who was the chamberlain to King Zedekiah of Jerusalem. From that, we can assume he was probably well-connected, being an aristocrat and having a brother who was the king's right-hand man. He also stayed with Jeremiah his whole life and went into exile with Jeremiah. In short, he spent his life devoted to God. He was devoted to Jeremiah. He was a faithful right-hand man, a team player. And while he didn't hold the office of a prophet, when he spoke, it was often with Jeremiah's authority, as Jeremiah's voice. I think to properly understand chapter 45, I'd like to read part of chapter 36. It's the event that immediately precedes what happens in chapter 45, and it kind of sets the stage for Baruch's lament and what he's thinking and why he's complaining to God. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to just, I'll skip some of the long names that are real tongue tanglers. Chapter 36, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that, every man, so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go. And on a day of fasting in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord and that everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people of Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities in Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Jemariah, which was in the upper court at the entry to the new gate of the Lord's house. When Micahiah heard all these words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house and to the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there. And Micahiah told them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people. Then all the officials sent Jehudi to say to Baruch, Take in your hand the scroll that you, read, that you read in the hearing of all the people and come. So Baruch took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. And when they heard all the words, they turned one to another in fear. And they said to Baruch, We must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, Tell us, please, how did he write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Baruch answered them, He dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, Go and hide you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So they went to the court of the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elashima, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of the secretary. And Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. And Jehudi read three or four columns. As he read them, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elnathan and Deliahai and Jemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. 
And the king commanded to seize Baruch, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll. And concerning Jehoiakim, you shall say, thus says the Lord, you have burned the scroll, saying, why have you written it? The king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I pronounced against them. Against them, But they would not hear. And again, to refresh your memory, chapter 45, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book of the dictation of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch, you said, Woe is me, for my Lord, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with groaning, I find no rest. Thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built up, I am breaking down, what I have planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places which you may go. That's probably the longest introduction to a sermon I've ever done. <laughs> but the rest will go fairly quick. This is one of those chapters that it's real easy to breeze over when you're reading, especially if you like to read like two or three chapters a day to read through the Bible. You get to a chapter like this, it's like, yes, I can get through this one really fast and get on to breakfast. And it's easy to assume, being such a short chapter, there's not much here. You know, just at first glance, like, yeah, he's, the guy's not happy. God's going to, you know, doom's going to happen. What's new? I think there's a significant lesson to learn here, however. We've already kind of covered verse 1. It just gives the background of what we read in chapter 36. But verse 2 and 3 will really get into the heat of the matter, the heart of the matter. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch, you said, woe is me, and then on and on. While Baruch was a dedicated servant of both Jeremiah and Jehovah, he appears to have reached a breaking point. He was really looking at the outward circumstances and looking too little at God, I think. Five times he uses the personal pronoun I or its variations to complain. Woe is me. For the Lord is added to my pain. I am weary with my groaning. I find no rest. While he has mourned in the past with Jeremiah about the destruction of Israel, now that it looks imminent, he's in despair. He's probably exhausted, probably physically, certainly emotionally, probably spiritually. And he's blaming God for not protecting him or blessing him as he'd hoped. We're just like that. <laughs> we want to blame God for everything. We try to pray. We try to read our Bible. We raise our kids. We um, try to do a good job at work and try to go to church, try to s serve. But we have this besetting sin. We have this boss we don't like. We have this aunt that is sick. We have this husband that won't stop this 
happen? Why has God made us like this? What is happening? Who are we, as Jeremiah pointed out in chapter 18, for the clay to question what the potter's doing with what's in his hand? Or maybe Baruch should think about what God is suffering. God has suffered for a thousand years since he's made the nation of Israel. And time and time again, he's been patient dealing with them, calling them to repentance, delivering them from oppression. If you read the book of Judges over and over, they would repent, God, they would repent, God would send a deliverer, they'd fall back into sin over and over again. There are 16 prophets in the Bible that are named by name with a book after them, plus many others like Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Nathan, Gad, and others are not named, where God is sent to the nation of Israel to call them, to correct them, to rebuke them, and to warn them, and to say that God loves you and wants you back as his people. What does God say to Baruch? Verses 4, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, behold what I have built, I am breaking down, and what I have planted, I am plucking up, that is, the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But... I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you may go. In other words, listen up, Baruch. In the first place, I am God, and I am in control. I do as I please, not as you tell me. And secondly, you're writing all these words down that Jeremiah is saying. Did you think you would be exempt from all this disaster that was coming upon the land? But there is hope for you. Do not seek, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh. I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places you may go. I will be with you. I will bring you home to glory. I am always going to be your God. We all have plans. We all have hopes. We all have dreams. But ultimately, God is in control. We should plan. We should hope. We should dream. But always with the thought of mind that God can change our situation. And if he does, it's an opportunity to serve him. It's an opportunity to obey him. It's an opportunity to follow him. And most importantly of all, it's an opportunity to glorify him. It was painful but God turned Baruch away from his path of self-exaltation and self-determination and reminded him he was exactly where God wanted him to be. This is a theme that's repeated over and over and over in the Bible. Can you imagine the anguish and horror and disappointment that Adam and Eve felt when Cain murdered Abe, his son, his brother? Imagine... Imagine what Abraham was thinking when his dad said, we're going to move a thousand miles west of here for no reason. Just, we're just going to go. And this was pre-interstate highway. This is pre-Toyota you know, Toyota Forerunner time. There was no Yelp to find out where to stay at the end of the day, no Chick-fil-A. I mean, that's pretty hard. Imagine how... Jacob felt waking up on his honeymoon to find he'd been tricked by his father-in-law and it was Leah, not Rachel, that he'd married. 
he had to serve seven more years for Rachel. Imagine how Joseph felt being the favored son, threatened with death and sold into slavery, and then it gets even worse. He becomes a prisoner in a dungeon. Moses as a young man being sent into exile after thinking maybe he's what God's going to use to deliver the nation of Israel and finds out he's in exile and wanted for murder. The prophet Samuel, two sons who would not follow him, and then the nation says, we don't want you as a judge, we want a king. Imagine how Samuel was disappointed, not that he was deposed as judge or rejected as judge, but they'd rejected God. Or David, finding out he, his son Absalom had rebelled against him, and he has to flee in the middle of the night. Or Joseph, finding out his young bride was to be was pregnant. I mean, that's, that's a game changer for most people. Or Paul, studying a lifetime to be a Pharisee and a lawyer. Now he's told to minister to the people he's hated his whole life. From there, we can think of modern times. People like Edwards and Calvin, who were kicked out of their pulpits in Geneva and Northampton, Mass. People like Elizabeth Elliot, who trained with her husband to be a missionary, only to have that taken away before it even started. As I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about a couple that I grew up with in, a, uh, in the, my neighborhood in Atlanta um, back in the 60s and 70s. I was, you know, 10, 15 years old. They were in their 40s, 50s, and um, they kind of had this Baruch moment. The, the husband had grown up in abject poverty in North Carolina. His mother couldn't read or write, and he said World War II was the best thing that happened to him, so he got him out of that poverty and gave him an education and a, a skilled trade. And the, the wife, she had grown up in New Orleans, and her mother had died when she was just an infant, and um, her father spent his, a lot of his extra money on nightclubbing and carousing, and you know, the Depression came. It was pretty tough times. But they got married during the war and moved to Atlanta, and the husband got a dream job with Lockheed Aircraft, and that's great. You know, that's, that's what he wanted to do for a living, but then they had a Baruch moment, and it kind of happened in slow motion. It was interesting to watch. He had a series of heart attacks in the 60s, and in the 72, he was told he needed open heart surgery, which at the time was radical. They just invented this thing called the triple bypass, and it wasn't even done in Atlanta. Imagine as big a city as that, he had to travel to Cleveland, Ohio, to the Cleveland Clinic. Week before he used to fly out, his wife gets breast cancer. So it's just um, one thing after the other. And then his surgery was not a success. It, it was somewhat successful. What the doctor said, you have to retire. You cannot work physically anymore. They had a real Baruch moment. And they could have just said, well, woe is me. And, you know, why are you doing this, God? But they instead turned their lives and poured it back into their church. And they volunteered at, the, like, the Mental Health Center of American Heart Society and American Cancer Society. And just they were out just about every day doing things for other people. Um, it's kind of amazing to see. I mean, they weren't perfect. They had their besetting sins. They had their faults. They had their issues. But they continued to tithe. They continued to serve in their church. And um, never once heard my dad say he was bitter about it. It's kind of amazing. So what do you do with your Baruch moment? What do you do? Do you cry, woe is me? Or do you say, thank you, Father? Think on God's admonition to Baruch. I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you may go. That makes me think of Ephesians 2.10. God is ordained for us to work, to walk in good works and serve him. Christ says, 
In John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. That sounds really good. But you've got to keep reading. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he also says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you put that ox yoke on, you see a whole lot of the other ox. And the other ox you're seeing is Jesus. Some of you may be listening saying, how do I know if I'm his child? How can I know this peace? There's only one hope and only one way to know that. John says that in chapter 1. We read part of that this morning. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I would encourage you to cling to Christ. I would encourage you to live in Christ. If you do a cursory reading of Paul's epistles, that phrase, in Christ, is used over and over and over again. I'm sure Steve would attest to the Ligonier teaching series by Sinclair Ferguson where he teaches a 12-part series on in Christ. It's amazing to see how much he uses that expression. We are to live in Christ, in his love, in his keeping, in his steadfastness. Although Baruch could not see it, we can look back and see the sufferings that Christ would bear. Think not on your own trials and sufferings. Instead, remember, remember what Christ did for you in humbling himself and submitting himself to a humiliating death. Faced with death, faced with our Baruch moment, how are we going to look? Is it going to be with arms out to say, no, I don't want that, no thank you? Or is it going to be like Christ as he stood on the cross with his arms outstretched, loving us, dying for us, giving us a new life and a new life to come in glory? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we know not what tomorrow brings. And that's good, because <laughs> if we knew, we probably, probably couldn't bear it, some of us. We probably wouldn't want to know. We'd want to run from it. But Jesus didn't run from it. Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem, St. Luke says. Help us to set our face toward Jesus, to live in Christ, and to accept what he's given us, knowing that he keeps us, not we that keep ourselves. And he keeps us not only in this transitory life, but he would keep us forever with him in glory. In your name we pray. Amen.